1 Thessalonians chapter 9. We're going to be looking chapter 4, not chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12. Um, that's, that's one of my favorite songs. Uh, Liam and I listen to that song all the time. We'll be going down the road and Liam will say, Bear put on Waymaker. And so we'll sing it. You know, Julie, she's more musically inclined than I am. And uh, she only listens to a song one time and she's ready to move on. But if I like a, if I like a song, I can put it on repeat and listen to it over and over again. So that's what Liam and I do. We're going down the highway singing that song over and over again. And it, it is true. God is a way maker. He does miracles. He, he's working and you sometimes don't even realize it. So I love that song and I'm glad they did it. First um, Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 9 through 12. Last week I had the sex talk. And last week we basically looked at uh, verses 1 through 8. And in the book of Thessalonians, when you get to chapter 4, it changes. It becomes more practical. It becomes more teaching. Uh, the first three chapters of First Thessalonians, basically what Paul is doing is he's trying to deal with some of the questions about him. And why he was there. Was he there because of the money? And so the first three chapters, he kind of compliments them and describes the church. But when he gets to chapter 4, he starts talking about how to live for him. And last week, we looked at uh, sexual immorality. And one of the things we learned last week is that God wants us to live pure lives. Not just so we can say we're pure, but because it's the best way to live. And we talked about what it means to be moral and, and sexuality. And then you get to verse 9, and he continues this practical teaching. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 1, you see where he talks about this. He is talking to believers. He's talking to Christians. He says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and here's the part you'd underline, to live in a way that pleases God. And so chapter 4 is really how to live in a way that pleases God. And then last week we talked about verses 3 through 8, and he talks about how to please God with your sexuality. And he talks about the biblical teachings of that. But then he gets to verse 9. And I've really struggled with this because it's so practical. You know, we sometimes think in the church to have an effect on lost people, we need to have a revival. And have somebody come in and lay it out there. And we, we, we think that we have to do something big. But what we find here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 9 through 12, we find basically four things, four simple things that he wants us to do that please him. And, and, and as I looked at this, you could call this 
uh, where uh, for Christians where the rubber meets the road. This is so basic and so common that we miss it. And so that's what I want us to look at, verses 9 through 12, how to please God in some ways that are just so incredible simple. Look at verse 9. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal, think about it, goal setting, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. And then look at verse 12. It says, Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. And you will not need to be dependent on others. I I mean, these four ways that I'm going to talk to you about should be just such common knowledge And should be so simple to do. And yet, if the scripture is correct, which it is, if we do these things, it's going to have an effect on lost people. You see, we too often think the way that we affect lost people is to drag them into church and give them what they need. Lay it out there. But when you look at what is taught here, what, what Paul is saying is no, lost people ought to be affected by the way you live your life. And if you live your life in a certain way and you share with them the good news, they're going to be open to it. <clears throat> so let's look. It's these four simple things that we don't need to miss. Number one, keep growing in your love for each other. Verses 9 and 10, very clear. He basically says, you're doing a good job of loving each other, but keep on growing in that. We need to understand as the, as the church... The most important ingredient for us being effective is that we really do love each other. Now, the word that is used for love here is the word Philadelphias, and it's the word that the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, came from. It's a Greek word, and here's what it's referring to, the kind of love that he is talking about that needs to be growing is love between brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a different kind of love than agape love that loves the lost people. The most important ingredient that makes God happy and pleased with you 
is when you grow in your love for each other. Family love. Not going to church, being the church, and being a family. I mean, over and over again, the long, I'm 65 now. Gosh, that sounds old. The thing that I've learned is that is so essential for church is that we know each other and we love each other. That we have friendships with one another. I don't measure the greatness of our church by how many show up on a Sunday, even though that is important. What blesses me when I, is when I see you talking to each other. When I see you knowing each other. When I see you laughing with each other. When I see you eating with each other, having fun with each other. It's relational. That is the word, brothers and sisters, that we are called to have for one another. We are to be relational. And I'm always on your case about how we need to continually grow in brotherly and sisterly love. You never, you never get there. There's always something more that you can learn. There's always a new dimension that you can learn about someone else. And you need to know my name, and I need to know your name, and I work really hard trying to do that. But you need to know me, and I need to know you. The church, when it gets into trouble, is when it only knows what I want and what I need. And what I'm constantly trying to do is to figure out how do we get closer to each other? How do we learn more? How, I mean, how do we become closer to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? And the thing that unites us, whether we're a kid, whether we're a teenager, whether we're a senior adult, middle-aged adult, the thing that connects us as family is not our name. It's the person of Jesus Christ that makes us family. And if the church doesn't get this, if we think it's just showing up, we're missing the most important part. It, it's, it's knowing each other. I found out this morning, Dave was 50 when he got married. I knew he was older like me, but Dave was 50. I didn't know that about Dave. I mean, I'm always learning something new about my, my family. And it's so important for us to understand that church should be a family. I, Billy Wooten was sick last week. Said he couldn't talk to me because he was sick, but he was out working. But I, that's a whole different story. But you better, Billy, I hope. You feeling better today? Okay, good, good. I know Billy's name. I, I watch. I see his car. I mean, I, I, you know, these teenagers, I go to school on Tuesday and we have pizza. It's my family. <laughs> Y'all waving at me? I mean, I, 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 you, you, they're, they're here, they sing, they, and we're missing some this morning, cold weather, but uh, they're my family. They're your family. And if we don't see church as family, we're missing the most important part. You need to know my name, you need to know my, my life, and I need to know your name and your life. You know, it, it, it's just what it means. Listen to Romans twelve ten. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. 
The word that is used there for love is Philadelphia. We ought to like each other. I mean, not everybody's going to like and be best friends with you, but we ought to know and honor each other. Hebrews uh, 13 verse 7 says, Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. See, if you know Christ, you're family. And family takes care of family. The church has this concept that the pastor or the deacons take care of people. No, 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 no. The family takes care of family. When my mom and dad were sick and had dementia, I could not have done it by myself. It was a brother and a sister and myself. And then friends, church friends, and and, and church people. It's family, though. Until we understand it's family, we're missing what church is all about. It's about the family of God coming to worship God. It's about the family of God knowing each other. I mean, you know, it, it, you ought to keep up with each other. I mean, I look back there at Callie taking a drink right now, and I'm thinking, she's going to be in college next year. I know that. It bothers me. I'm not ready for you to go, Callie. Especially since you're going to, not Baylor now, but uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, you know, a church ought to be family. You ought to know each other's name. You ought to care. Uh, I love what it says in 1 Peter 1.22. You were cleansed from your sins. That's spiritual. When you obeyed the truth, that's spiritual. So now, practical, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. If you get it spiritually, you'll love each other. That's why I'm constantly saying, you need to come and do this with us. You need to come play pickleball. You need to come to church on Wednesday. I'm always saying that. Anything to help you connect to one another better and better and better. That is family. Second uh, Peter 1.7 said, And add to godliness, it says, And godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Part of growing spiritually is loving each other. It's knowing. I look at Cat back there. Michael's my, my boy. He's in the fourth grade. Now, does his last name Ashburn? No, but he's my boy. When I see him, he always yells, Pastor Bill. I mean, it's family. And it, it should not be that way just between me and Michael, but every single one of you ought to be going, Hey, Brother or sister. I mean, that's, that's practical. That's what it means to have brotherly love. It's to know each other. It's to be involved in a church. It's to be concerned when you don't see each other. It's to be concerned when someone's sick. It's, it's, it's checking on people, loving people. That's what it means. Church membership is important only if it leads to relationships. Brotherly love. It's, it, it, it is. Jesus said it this way in John 13, 34 and 35. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
<laughs> it's not going to prove to the world if you go to church and know the Bible. What proves to the world that you're one of his is that you love each other. That's so practical. We miss it. And what Paul is saying to this group of Christians, keep growing in love. Never stop loving each other. Never quit growing in love with each other. It's just, it's just the basic part of it. Now, the second thing. This one was hard. I've stewed all week about how to... Because these are commands, you know. We think of commands as like, don't do this, don't do that. But here's a command that Paul gives you and me this morning, and it's simple, and it's this. Live a quiet life. <laughs> Let me paraphrase it in my understanding. Don't live in drama. <laughs> he's, talking, he's talking to Christians, and he's saying, don't live in drama. Live a quiet life. Now, that word quiet is a word that doesn't mean wordless. Because when you and I think of the word quiet, we think, don't say any words. The word there is one of peaceful, restful. And, and what he is saying is, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to get rid of the drama that is in our life, and we need to live a orderly, peaceful, restful life. And I know some of you are saying, sure, right. Do you realize you control what kind of life you live? You can blame it on anything you want to. But what has an effect on people is when the lost world looks at your life and they go, man, I want what they have. And what they have is peace. What they have is they're not all bent out of shape. Listen, Facebook hasn't done us any, any help. It hadn't helped us. Listen, don't ever put your drama on Facebook. <laughs> the world doesn't need to see that. You look at my post, you need to put... Biblical stuff on there. I love Jesus. I love family. I love this. They don't need your drama. They need to see peace. I mean, they need to look at you and go, man, how, did, how, how are they? And I'm not peaceful. Y'all all know that. Let me tell you a funny story about me because I'm just, I'm a mess. I'll be the first. Okay, I've had my tooth bothering me. Okay? And I could tell it was swollen a little in there, and I hate dentists. How many of you hate dentists? Raise your hand. I think right above the devil is a dentist, okay? And uh, I just don't like dentists at all. And so, and this is how I am. I'm ashamed to say I worry more than anybody. Well, there's a couple of you who got me beat, but I worry just about as much as anybody in this room, Okay? I didn't even tell anybody until I knew what the diagnosis was. Here's what I'm thinking for about a month. I've got a tumor in there. It's somewhere in my sinus cavity. I've got a malignant tumor in there 
because it's swollen over here. And when I would play pickleball, I'd feel this pressure coming down on my top teeth. And I knew I had a dentist appointment. And so I'm convinced I have a malignant tumor. I better have my will up to date because it's in here. Either that or they're going to have to take half my face and, you know. So I go in. What day was it, Greg? Thursday? I go in. I mean, I prayed up. I said, okay, Lord, I I surrender all. If it's a tumor, I'm going to deal with the tumor. I go in. I have an abscess tooth. Which I'm like, this also my person. I'm like, hallelujah, an abscess, abscess tooth. That's better than cancer and tumor in your face, you know. That's how I work, unfortunately. But, I mean, I was skipping around thinking, man, root canal, I can handle that, you know. Which now when I really think about a root canal, I think about all things could go wrong with the root canal. But uh, I tried on the outside to be very peaceful, but on the inside I was struggling. What the world needs to see is that we're peaceful, that we're orderly. I go to church because I like to go to church. I go to, I go to activities at our church, not because I'm the pastor, because I actually like my job and I like my people. And, and I want people to look at me and go, he's not the typical preacher that's screaming and hollering and telling me I, what I'm doing wrong. I mean, I'll tell you what you're doing wrong when I get there. Some of you need to live a quiet life. It's a command. To be peaceful. To be orderly. When they look at you, they go, man, I know it's Sunday. I know where they'll be. And they don't look like they hate it. He says, it's a command. Live a quiet life. It means... Restful. It means undisturbed. It means settled, not noisy. Peaceful. Not drama. Peaceful. Balanced, not unbalanced. And I'm telling you, we're dropping the ball a lot of times with this one. We're unbalanced. We do what we want to do. And we're not balanced about what God wants us to do. A balanced life is a powerful witness to the lost world. Because why? They're worried. Uh, In this particular time, what was going on in this church is they thought the Lord Jesus was about to come back. And what they did is they sold their property and they quit their jobs. And after about a month or two, they realized he isn't coming back. And they didn't have a job. And they didn't have this. And they didn't have that. And they were looking a little frazzled. Live a quiet life. That's command. Second thing he says, and I love this one. Mind your own business. <laughs> quit worrying about other people. That's such a simple command. Why are you worried about them? Listen, honest to truth, I can't worry about you on Sunday morning because i got to worry about Bill. Mind your own... Let me translate it from the Greek. Mind your own business. I mean, (laughs) that's not tough. It's tough to do. Paul is telling these Thessalonians, concentrate on you. Make you, make your goal 
to focus on you and what you need in your spiritual life. Worry about yourself. Don't fix someone else. Fix yourself. Worry about yourself. Do what God's called you to do. Don't worry about what God's called someone else to do. Turn to John 21. I love this. Here's, a, here's an example of Jesus. In John chapter 21, you see an example of where Jesus tells one of his disciples to mind their own business. I love this. If you look down at verse 18, this is after Jesus has fed Peter uh, uh, breakfast and he's told him to feed the sheep. We a lot of times stop, but listen to this. He says, I tell you the truth. He's talking to Peter, Jesus is. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. That's not exactly the most positive thing to tell Peter. He's basically saying in the future, it's going to be tough. Your life is going to be tough. And then look what he says. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Now, Peter, church history says, was crucified upside down. And basically, Jesus saying is, it's going to be tough in the next couple of years. But look what, look what Peter does. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? So Peter turns around and goes, look, Jesus, what, a, what about John? Is he going to have it bad like me? What about so-and-so? And look what Jesus replied. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. <laughs> Lord, what about so-and-so? Lord, how come they're having this? Isn't that the way we tend to be sometimes? God says, mind your own business. Lord, what is it for me? And then mind your own business. Don't talk about others. Don't worry about other people. Worry about yourself. And then the fourth thing, work hard with your hands. That's witnessing. You better believe it is. A poor work ethic is a terrible testimony for Christ. You see, in this church, they were all quitting their jobs. Here's what happened. They quit their jobs. And then also, because Jesus was coming back soon, nobody's working, he doesn't come back. So then they, they go over and they're knocking on Greg Ray's house saying, Hey, Greg, can we eat with y'all tonight? Greg's working, but I'm over there going, Hey, uh, Jesus isn't back yet. Greg's going, I know you're supposed to be working until he gets back. And, and, and what was happening is they were ruining their witness. 
And we need to understand, we need to work hard. Now, you've got to understand where, where this is, is where Greece is. If you were looking in a map, and they despised manual labor. They despised manual labor. Working hard with your own hands was something you bought a slave to do. But, but, but the New Testament and Jesus, they, they, they gave value to work. Work is a good thing. My kids are always saying, when are you going to retire? I don't know. What would I do? I mean, honestly, doing nothing doesn't appeal to me at this point in my life. Greg, I'm just saying, I'm not planning on retiring anytime soon. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I pr- I, every Sunday morning, I pray with a black preacher friend of mine, Charlie. He's 81. And one of the questions that he always asks me, he's in Lancaster, Texas. We pray every Sunday morning, 7 o'clock, that phone rings. He says, Bill, how long do we keep on doing it? He's 81 in good health. I said, Charlie, until you can't remember what to do <laughs> or you're not good at what you do. I mean, if you just feel like you can't do it, then yeah. But if you got your, because what would he do? He likes preaching. He loves God. I mean, sure, he may have to change churches, do something different. But, but, but again, we, we go over that question all the time. How long do you do what you do? You, 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 working hard is good for you. Jim retired, but he doesn't know he's not supposed to work all the time. Somebody failed. Isn't that right, Sherry? Bob. Same way. The man does not know. Do nothing. Right, Bob? Denise. Right, Denise? (laughs) Working hard, I think, is one of the most beneficial. Now, you may change what you do is work. Greg. Retired from work to work at the church all the time. And he doesn't get paid all the hours he's here. But listen, it it, it blesses the kingdom. Who wants to do nothing? I don't want to fish all the time. And occasionally would be nice, Sam. We haven't been in a while, but uh, uh, work. He says work hard with your hands. One of the most incredible testimonies you can have is when you work with a good attitude and people look at you and go, what's wrong with them? The Bible teaches that working hard is a great witness. I'll tell you, the biggest mission field is wherever you work. If you don't see your work as a mission field, then you probably are a pastor, and it's a mission field too, but... Work hard with your hands. That's what he's saying. Those four things are evangelistic. Caring for one another, brotherly love. Being involved in a church. I don't mean showing up. You need to know people's names. You need to do something. We got, you, if you look at the slides, if you look at the bulletin, we got vacation Bible school. We've got mission trip coming up. We've got Wednesday nights. We could always, you, listen, your family. If you can, help where you can. But just because you're older doesn't mean you can't help. 
Miss Lynn surveys who's here. How many of you said hi to Lynn Howard this morning? Raise your hand high. <laughs> Everybody here, Lynn. Listen, she's retired. She's 90. Isn't that correct? 91. You've already gone to... Doesn't act like it. Got out in the cold, came to worship this morning because she had a job. People, that's how to enjoy life. So, so you, you love each other as family. You, you, um, you live a quiet life, an orderly life. A lot of us need to work on that. Restful. Do people look at your life and go, man, they, I want that peace. Now, where do you get that peace? From a relationship with Christ. Does it mean your life's not crazy? Absolutely not. Peace. Uh, mind your own business and work hard with your hands. And you don't have to... You know, that's one thing I... I th- this church has always impressed friends and, and uh, family members that come here. I, it, it just blows my mind. It's the hardest working group of people I've ever seen. You go, you go down and you look in the kitchen. They cook for a lot of people every Wednesday night, and that place is clean every Thursday morning. Unless I sneak in there and mess it up. I mean, volunteers. This is their work. Now, if you look at the last part of that verse, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look what it says in verse 12. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. They're not going to respect the revival that you have. They're going to respect the way you live. The most beneficial influence on a lost world is a Christian life that has character, that has integrity. That's what Paul is saying. When they look at you, they want what you have. And it's not the flashy. It's, it's the basic. So, are you a part of the family? Do you need to pick up a rag and start helping clean table? I don't know. Do you live a quiet life? Do you need to cut some things out? Do you need to add some things that are spiritual? I don't know. Do you need to mind your own business and not worry about so-and-so and just focus on you and what God wants you to do? I don't know. Do you need to work hard? Do you need to do something? There is something every Sunday and Wednesday everyone needs to do. And it should be fun because it's family. This is our house, our family. And it's not just for old people, it's for these teenagers, bless me, to see them singing, to see them do their instruments. That's family. I'm so proud of them. They've improved. I don't know if you've noticed that. We want them to keep it up. I mean, it's family. So, are you living to please Him? Only you know the answer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love, and I thank you for the scriptures. And gosh, (laughs) so simple that we just need to love each other, that we need to mind our own business.
that we need to live a quiet, peaceful life. That we need to work hard with our hands. Lord, it, it, it sounds too easy. But Father, if we live in that fashion, and then we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, people will want it. Because they'll connect the lifestyle with the message. And that's what we always want people to hear is the message. Lord, I thank you for my church. I thank you that I'm just a part of it. I thank you for every person here. I pray for those that aren't here. There's some that aren't here that are sick, that are hurt, they're not able to be here. There's some that don't care to be here. I care about them too. Lord, just help us to be the body, the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.